the fourth chapter. And tonight I want to talk about drawing close to God. Drawing close to God. Um, drawing close to God. James chapter 4. Read one verse of Scripture. And then we'll get into more Scripture tonight. James chapter 4. In verse 8, it's on the screen, it's on your handout. James 4 verse 8, let's look at what it says. It says, draw nigh to God, that word nigh simply means near. Draw nigh to God, and He, referring to God, will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded. Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. There's one thing that I know to be true of everyone here. Even if, if I'd never met you before, there's one thing I know to be true about every person. Every person in the world, in fact. You're as close to God as you choose to be. That's true of every person in this world. Believer or unbeliever, we're as close to God as we want to be. The fact is, you and I determine the level of intimacy in our relationship with God. We determine how close we get. You see, when we were lost, God came looking for us. He found us. He sought us. But now that He has captured us, now that He has saved us, God looks at us and He says, Seek me. Isn't that what He says? He says, Draw near to me. I know that God desires a close relationship with us. I know that God is willing to get as close to you and me as you're willing to get close to Him. In fact, I believe He wants to be closer to us than we can imagine. In all reality, He probably wants to be closer to you than you do to Him. Because the thing is, the closer we get to God, God begins to deal with stuff in our life that sometimes we don't want to deal with. Because sometimes we want to compartmentalize our faith and keep certain areas of our lives off limits to God. But here's the thing, when you get close to God, you have to let every area of your life be open to Him and just kind of let Him take over. And sometimes we don't want that. Certain things we want to hold on to, certain parts of our lives that I want this, and God says, no, if you want to be close to me, I have to have everything. When you go back to the Garden of Eden, you see God's ideal relationship with us. You see that Adam and Eve, they enjoyed intimate fellowship and relationship with God. There wasn't any rules, there wasn't any rituals, there wasn't any traditions. Just a simple relationship where God could come down and walk with them in the cool of the day. He could talk with them and just have a conversation and just have fellowship. That's what God wanted. And that's what God wants for us. A simple, loving relationship. Listen to what I'm about to say. Jesus died on a cross so that we could know Him. He died on a cross so that we could connect with Him. He gave His life 
Not just so that we could be saved and go to heaven, but he died on a cross so that we could walk with him and fellowship with him and interact with him on this earth before we ever went to heaven. Listen, he didn't just die so we could attend church services. In fact, if that's all he did was die so we could come to church two times a week and have some singing and have some preaching, that's pathetic. He died so we could know him and encounter him and just sit in his presence and enjoy him. But yet so many times we've turned relationship into ritual and tradition and religion. We've turned it into nothing more than what can God do for me and what can I get out of Him. Rather than what the Bible talks about walking with Him. I want to ask you a simple question. Are you as close to God as you want to be? Or do you desire to be closer? I want to be closer. I believe that's the longing of every believer, but sometimes we don't know how to get there. And sometimes I believe, if we'll be honest, we have to admit that we're not as close as we have been before. And so tonight I want to give you a few things as we look at this idea of being intimate with God, being close to God. Number one, intimacy with God can be lost. Intimacy with God can be lost. You see, intimacy with God isn't something that once you attain it, you continually have it. You see, the fact is, you can get close to God, but it doesn't always mean you're going to stay close to God. You see, I believe that we can either, we're either going closer to Him or we're drifting from Him. You see, I don't believe our relationship with God stays stagnant. It's getting better or it's getting worse. It's getting stronger or it's getting weaker. Now, I know sometimes you have to kind of stand your ground and it's a struggle. But overall, you're either growing, progressing, making ground, or you're drifting. Think about the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. Jesus commends them for all the good that they have going on. But then in verse 4, he says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You've abandoned your first love. On the outside, they look like a good church. On the outside, it looked like the church you'd want to be a part of. But Brother Dennis, he said, You don't love me like you used to. And sadly, that's where a lot of Christians are. They're still going through the motions. They're still doing all the activities they've always done, but it's not motivated by love. Thing is, you can look good on the outside and still not be in love with Him like you once were. You've lost your zeal. You've lost your passion. You've lost your enthusiasm and excitement, and you just need to fall in love with Jesus all over again. I want to... Ask this question tonight. It's on the screen. But how is intimacy lost? Let me give you a few things to fill in here. Number one, failure to spend consistent time with Him. If you don't spend consistent time with God, you'll lose your intimacy with Him. Could you imagine being married to somebody and only spending time with them once a week? 
Do you think you're going to have any passion in your marriage? Do you think there's going to be any fire there? I don't think so. Well, how do you think it's going to be in your relationship with God if you never spend any time with Him? I'm not going to try to be legalistic and ritualistic about it saying that, hey, you have to spend an hour every day in prayer. Because you can go too far and just start checking off the boxes. And it becomes an obligation. And that's not love either. But consistently, you need to be trying to spend time with Him because you love Him. But secondly, you lose intimacy with God when there's unconfessed sin in your life. When the Holy Spirit has convicted you and dealt with you and you refuse to deal with what He's putting His finger on in your life, it's going to hurt your relationship with Him. You'll lose the intimacy that you have with Him. You see it in marriages. That when one spouse is unfaithful, it hurts the intimacy. Thirdly, Neglecting the fellowship of God's people. When people start laying out of church, when people stop fellowshipping with God's people, listen, when God saved you, He saved you to be a part of His family. And that means there's other people involved. But listen, when you believe, you belong. Amen? You see, we're not in this thing together. Well, listen, we're not in this by ourselves. We're in this together. We need each other. And that, that means when we come together in God's house and we fellowship and, and we shake hands and we hug and we pray for each other, it helps me. It helps my walk with God to be around other believers. In fact, the, Bible, uh, the writer of Hebrews talks about forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, which is the manner of some, especially as you see the day approaching. And yet we're living in days where people try to meet together less and less. Well, are you saying, preacher, that I have to go to church all the time to be a Christian? That's not what I'm saying. But here's the thing. If you want to be a strong Christian, you ought to be in the house of God as much as you can. Because it'll help you walk with God. Amen? Listen, I, listen. if you want to... Be, I, I believe a Christian ought to want to be in God's house. Right? That should be a desire in a... David, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And some Christians, professing Christians... So-called Christians, it's Sunday again. I guess I got to go to church today. We ought to spring out of bed like, oh, thank God, I get to go to His house today. Because listen, if you have a hard time getting here to fellowship two times a week and listen from the Word of God, I promise you. Most of them's not praying and reading their Bible if they can't come sit for an hour. I mean, if you just can't come hang out with us for an hour, hour and a half, 
God's not consistent in the other things that's going to help you. Let me move on. Number four. Willful disobedience. When you know what you want to do and you willfully disobey, that's going to hurt your intimacy with God. When God says, don't do this, you go out and do it. That goes along with just sin. It's going to hurt your intimacy. Here's what I've come to find out my years of walking with God. Intimacy usually isn't lost in a moment. It takes place gradually. You, you slowly drift away. I used to do some surfing in my more younger days, my 20s. And here's the thing about surfing. You paddle out there to where the waves are breaking until you decide to catch a wave. But if you don't constantly paddle to stay in that area, you're going to drift. Or the waves are going to carry you down the beach. And it don't take long, and you could be a hundred yards from where you paddle out. Because you did absolutely nothing. That's why the writer of Hebrews talked about neglecting this great salvation. That if you just neglect your walk with God, you do that mean you're lost. You just, you drift and all of a sudden you look up. It's like, how did I get so far away? You just neglected your walk with God. And you drift. Before I move on, I want you to understand that when you lose your intimacy with God, it's never His fault. If you're not as close to God as you want to be, you can't point the finger at Him and give Him the blame. And yet that's what so many people want to do. We want to play the blame game. It's somebody else's fault. It's God's fault. But here's the thing. If there's distance between you and God, you can be sure of one thing. God is not to blame and God's not the one that moved. You did. Because in the Garden of Eden, Adam was the one hiding. And that's what we do. When there's something in our life, instead of running to Him, we try to run away and we try to hide. And the best thing to do is fess up and let Him forgive and let Him restore, and let the intimacy be restored. Because here's the thing, immediately, intimacy is restored when you confess. That's the good thing about our Heavenly Father, is that He's so gracious and merciful that when you fess up, intimacy is restored. So intimacy can't be lost. But let me give you a second thing here. Intimacy with God doesn't just happen. Listen, I wish we could snap our fingers, make a wish, and all of a sudden spiritual growth and spiritual intimacy would happen. But just like any other relationship, you've got to work at developing your relationship with God. Intimacy with God is not going to happen by accident. It's not going to happen by chance. You're not going to stumble into it. You've got to work 
at your relationship with God. Let me give you a couple things here. Number one, it takes desire. You have to want a closer walk with God. You have to want a closer relationship with Him. You have to want Him more than you want anything else. David desired to know God above all else. When you read the book of Psalms and you read the Psalms that David wrote, he used words like longing, thirsting, and hungering. He wanted to know God. He craved Him. He desired more of Him. When's the last time you desired God? When's the last time you thirsted for Him? When's the last time you hungered for Him? When's the last time you longed for Him? When's the last time you wanted Him and not what He could do for you? Because that's how most people look at God. He's our genie in the bottle. He's going to grant me three wishes. When's the last time you just wanted Him? Because here's how most of us go to prayer. We get out our own wish list and, God, I need you to do this, 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 and this. When's the last time you just sat in His presence and said, God, I just want you? You see, here's one of the things that God's convicted me as I put together this message and dealt with this. So many times I go to this book right here and I had to repent of it today. I opened this book right here and this has become nothing more than a manual to prepare sermons rather than a manual for living. Because here's the thing, I've got to preach two times a week. And it becomes so easy just to open this book right here and be like, okay, God, what well, I've got to preach this week? What I've got to say to the people rather than open this right here and read it for God to speak to me? And open this right here, Brother Jimmy, to see what God wants to say to me, to feed me, to correct me, to change my life, and let God encounter me. But it's so easy to open this right here and be like, I've got to preach Wednesday night. I've got to preach Sunday. Oh God, I've got to have a sermon. I've got to have a message. And just, just, just read and just, oh, I've oh, oh, got to preach. And, and just get a piece of paper and just start just thinking of thoughts and rather than... I need to encounter God. And I had to ask God today, God, forgive me. I want to open your word and I want to encounter you for myself. God, I want to see you in your word so that I can live the way you want me to live. That's the pitfall of being a minister. And having to do this so-called, it's not, I don't, I don't do it for a living, I do it for a paycheck. But here's the thing, when if you ain't careful, it can become a job. And this becomes nothing more than an occupation where this book just becomes, okay, this is what i got to do next. It's a pitfall. But it takes desire to grow. Number two, it takes time. I've done talked about one of the reasons you lose intimacy is not having consistent time with Him. But you've got to spend time with God. And one of the main reasons people say they don't read their Bible or spend time in prayer is not enough time. But we can watch TV. We can spend time on the computer. We can go to kids' baseball games and grandkids' baseball games. 
We can run kids up and down the road to practices. But then say we don't have enough time for God. We can read newspapers. But then say I don't have time to draw near to God. Listen, what if Jesus didn't have time to die on a cross? We'd all be in a mess. Listen, you've got to make time. Or let me say it this way, take time. Have to prioritize. Number three, it takes discipline. You need commitment. It takes consistency. This idea of discipline means there has to be some consistency. In other words, you don't pray one week and skip the following week. Again, I'm not saying pray an hour every day. But there has to be some consistency. But there's some people that only pray when crisis comes. Trouble comes and they hit their knees and start praying. That's not consistent. That's not discipline. Listen, you've got to learn how to pray when there is no trouble. You've got to learn how to pray when things are good. You can't just read your Bible one day and then go for a month until you read it again. Listen, none of us would think, I'm going I'm to eat today and then I'm going to go a month without eating again. That's how some people treat their Bible. You know how I'd look if I ate today and didn't eat again for another month? I'd probably look pretty, pretty sharp. I'd be, I'd be shriveled up a little bit. But I'd be unhealthy. I'd be deprived of nutrients that my body needs. And even though I might lose some weight and get down to a healthy weight, it wouldn't be healthy. And there's a lot of unhealthy believers because they don't have discipline to pray and read their Bible. You know, part of being a disciple is discipline. And that means sometimes you have to practice spiritual discipline even when you don't feel like it. You pray when you don't feel like praying. But I, listen, if you'll start praying, you'll feel like praying. If you start reading your Bible, you'll start feel like reading your Bible. Sometimes you have to do it before you feel it. And then the feeling will come. Amen? Because here's the thing. Sometimes I don't feel like reading my Bible, Brother Lynn. But if I just ever get started, it's hard to put it down. If I can ever just get into the first few minutes of praying... Then I, can get, then I can get going. If I can ever get started praying, and I can feel His presence, or if a warm tear ever rolls down my cheek, it's on then. Because then I've got a hold of Him. Or better yet, He's got a hold of me. And I can go in then. You just have to sometimes do it. It takes discipline. Number three, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time here. Intimacy with God can be regained. It can be regained. 
You can get close to God. You can have an intimate relationship with Him. I believe that our relationship with God can get better. I believe we can be closer today than we were yesterday. Amen? I believe that all of us can have a better walk with God than we currently have. You see, here's the thing. None of us have arrived yet. I believe Paul understood that concept very well. Listen to what he said, Philippians 3.10. Here's a man that has experienced great things in his ministry. He's seen God do tremendous miracles. And if anybody knew who God was, Paul knew who God was. But the very first part of Philippians 3.10 says that I may know Him. Paul knew Jesus. He knew the power of God, but yet the longing and desire of his life that I may know Him. After all that Paul has experienced, after all that he has seen, I still want to know Him. And then he says in verse 12 and verse 13, not as though I had already attained either or already perfect, that means mature, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that which also I'm apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth those things which are before. He wanted to know Jesus. And he's saying here, I hadn't arrived yet. You see, he wasn't satisfied with what he had accomplished so far, and he knew that he hadn't achieved maturity yet. He says, hey, I've I've gained a lot of ground. I've grown in the process, but I'm not satisfied with where I'm at in my journey. I still want to know him, and I still want to press home, and I still want to grow in my walk with God. And he says, I'm going to press forward that I can lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. He said, there's still more ground to gain. There's still areas that I need to press on to. You see, he had a divine dissatisfaction. And he said, I'm going to press on. Listen to me. A divine dissatisfaction is essential for spiritual progress. As long as you're satisfied with where you are, you'll never grow in your walk with God. If you're comfortable, if you're complacent, and you like where you are, you'll never move forward. There has to be a divine dissatisfaction. God, I'm thankful for what you've done. I'm thankful for where you've brought me. But God, I want to go from faith to faith and glory to glory. I want to move on in my walk with you. And again, if you're not going forward, the only other option is back. So how do we grow closer? How do we become intimate with God? James chapter 4, let's look at verse 8 through 10. Let me read it. Let me give you a few steps. Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. Number one, it involves initiative. He says, draw near. He says, draw near. Notice that process. We draw near to Him and He draws near to us. We initiate the process of seeking God. We initiate the process 
of getting closer to Him. And you might be thinking, well, why doesn't He draw near to me so that I'll draw near to Him? Why do I draw near to God first? Because initiating the process of drawing near to Him first shows that our relationship with Him is our top priority. Matthew 6, 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Jesus says our first priority, our top priority, ought to be seeking God. Listen, you don't have to pray about what should be first in your life. Jesus said, seek God first. And so here's the thing. We can't get closer to God unless our relationship with Him is a priority. And I'm afraid that for a lot of Christians, God isn't first in their life. They just try to fit Him into their life. Let me say that again. For a lot of Christians... God isn't first in their life. They're just trying to fit Him in their life. That's why we compartmentalize our faith. We come to church on Sunday and worship Him, but then we want to leave Him at the church house and go our way and say, God, I'll see you next week. He's not first if you do that. He wants to go with you everywhere you go. And He wants to be in control everywhere you go. Listen, God isn't an add-on to your life. He's not an add-on. He's not an upgrade to your life. When you believe in Jesus, He becomes your life. And He didn't just come to make you better, He came to take over. And that means He wants everything. He wants to be the center of your life. And He, He wants to be first. But here's the thing. He won't force us to be close to Him. That's why when you read Laodicea, he's standing on the outside knocking on the door wanting to get back in his church. He could have kicked the door down if he wanted to. But any man hear my voice and open up, I'll come in and sup with him. And he's talking to the church. Evangelists have used that for years to talk about him knocking on the hearts of sinners. He's talking to the church, trying to get back in. I wonder how many times on Sunday mornings God shows up at church and is knocking on the hearts of believers. Trying to have fellowship with them and they they just ignore him. Trying to have fellowship with them and they, and they just sit there unmoved. Like, God, don't bother with me today. When's the last time God maybe tried to wake you up during the night to have fellowship with you and you rolled over and said, God, not now, don't bother me, I'm sleeping. I, I, I've done it. When sleep was more important than Him. Or you're sitting there watching TV and all of a sudden you got this burden to go pray. But you didn't turn the TV off, you just kept sitting there watching it. Been guilty? Yeah. God will do that. Why? Because He wants us to spend time with Him. But it has to be a problem. And He's not going to force that on us. Listen, he, he loves us, but He's not going to force that on us. 
Is your relationship with God a priority? But number two, it involves purity. Notice it says in the text, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. You see, our hands and our hearts are connected. Our hands refer to our outward life, what others see, and our hearts refer to our inward life. And that's what God sees. And so what James is saying is that our conduct must be clean, but our conduct can't be clean with a dirty heart. You see, it's difficult to be close to God with unclean hands and a dirty heart. See, sin separates us from Him. It cuts off the intimacy we have with Him. Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither His ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. Sin hinders our fellowship with the Father and keeps our prayers from being answered. The psalmist said this, Psalm 66, 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. I said earlier that unconfessed sin cuts off intimacy with God. It hinders our fellowship with Him. You can't get close to God with open sin in your life. David said this, Psalm 24, 3 and 4. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in His holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Now listen, I understand that this side of heaven, we don't reach perfection. But when there's things in our life that we know is wrong and we're not willing to deal with it, you can forget being close to God. That when the Spirit of God has dealt with you and put His finger on it and said, hey, you need to deal with this and you refuse to deal with it, you can forget any closer than where you are right now. You won't go any further. But if you'll deal with it, confess it, and say, God, forgive me for my lust, my anger, my debt, whatever it may be, you can move forward in your walk with God. There in verse 9 of the book of James, he talks about cleanse your hands. He talks about, let me read it to you. Not on the screen, but it, but it says, Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. He, he's talking about repentance. That's something we don't hear much in the church today. It's repentance. In fact, we don't hear, we don't hear much preaching to church people about church people needing to repent. But 2 Chronicles seven fourteen talks about if my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, he'll hear from heaven, forgive their sins and heal the land. Can I tell you where revival needs to start? In the church. It needs to start in me. It needs to start in you. We want this great revival to come throughout the, the USA and throughout the world. Listen, it ain't going to come till it starts in us. And it starts when the people of God get right. Number three, it involves loyalty. Notice he talked about double-minded. He mentions that word there, double-minded. Well, it only appears twice in the Bible, and both times it's in the book of James. 
That word double-minded, it means two-spirited. It refers to someone who is wavering, unsettled, or divided. James 1.8 says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. The word unstable there means no stability, they're unsteady, and they're uncertain. So here's the thing, not only will unclean hands and a dirty heart keep us from getting close to God, but a divided heart will keep you from getting close to God. You see, if our heart is divided between God and the world, we can't get close to Him. Now hear me, that doesn't mean that you're out there running around in the world, but here's the thing, if you get too close to the world, you can't get close to God. And I'm afraid sometimes we as believers get too close to the world. And again, it doesn't mean that we're out living in sin. We can get too attached to the world. We can get so caught up in this world to where we think that He's not coming back and maybe there is no heaven that we're here to stay and get caught up. And we become divided. The thing is, we can't walk with the world and walk with God. Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Can't have both. Can't have God and the world. We have to be devoted and loyal to Him and Him alone. Listen, God wants us to have devoted hearts, not divided hearts. There's a lot of people who want to straddle the fence. They want to hold the hand of God and hold the hand of the world. And you can't do that. The Bible warns us about being too friendly with the world and wanting and desiring what it offers. Look at James 4 verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Notice he refers to them as adulterous people. What does an adulterous person do? They cheat on somebody. So, so in, in that verse, what's it referring to? That they're, they're being unfaithful to God. Uncommitted to Him. 1 John 2.15 Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That, that phrase, the love of the Father, means love for the Father is not in him. Colossians 3, verse 1, 2. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. We're to be looking forward to something greater. Number four. It involves humility. He said, humble yourselves in verse 10. When we get closer to God, it's going to take some humility. That word humble, it means to be under the authority of another. So to humble ourselves before God, it requires that we submit or surrender to God. James 4 and 7, he says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. One of... The great sins that God hates is the sin of pride. And pride will hinder how close you get to God. And I don't think it's an accident. In fact, I know it's not an accident because 
the Holy Spirit inspired the Word of God. And so, it's not coincidence that James says, submit to God before he tells us to draw near to God. Because how can you draw near to someone you can't submit to? You can't. It's hard to draw near to somebody you won't submit to. And so in verse 7 he said, submit to God. And then verse 8 comes along, draw nigh to God. You see, when you're submitted to Him, it's easy to draw near to Him. Verse 6, but He giveth more grace. Wherefore He saith, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, God will oppose us as long as we're full of pride, but when we humble ourselves, He gives us His undeserved favor. You see, pride puts distance between God and us, but when we humble ourselves, He gives us grace. He gives us what we don't deserve. Humbling ourselves before God means we realize who's in charge. Humbling ourselves before God means we empty ourselves of self and we acknowledge His Lordship in our lives. Listen, if you want to go further in your walk with God, you want to be more intimate with Him, you're going to have to lay aside self, lay aside your self-centeredness, lay aside your self-righteousness, and say, I'm nothing and He's everything. Are you walking in humility before God? Listen, you can't go into His presence thinking that you're all that. I know the Bible says that we can go boldly. Listen, that don't mean arrogantly. It means we can approach confidently that He'll hear us and He'll answer. That don't mean we can go in our strut and our stuff in His presence. Sometimes the best way we can go into His presence is on our hands and our knees and saying, God... I don't even deserve to be here. And I know that in Christ I'm accepted. Because Paul talks about being accepted in the blood. And I don't mean that... Listen, I, I, I know that on my own I'm not accepted. And I know that I really don't deserve to be there. And Christ makes me worthy to be in His presence. But I don't go in there strutting around like, Okay, God, look, look, here I am again. No. I go into His presence with reverence and honor and praise. I go into His presence adoring Him and exalting Him. Recognizing that He's God and I'm not. So as I close, ask you again are you you as close to God as you want to be or do you want to get closer maybe you're here and you're not as close as you once were and you want to get back there you can maybe you're here and you're close to God but you want to get closer you can God gives us a promise here in James 4 8 that if we draw near to Him He'll draw near to us isn't that what He says Draw nigh to God, and He'll draw nigh to you. That's a promise. I believe that when we move in God's direction, God begins to move in our direction. Listen, you can't beat that. 
And if you've walked in here tonight saying, I, I, I don't know where God is in my life. I, I hadn't felt God in a while. God hadn't moved. God's waiting on you to move. When's the last time you moved towards Him? If you hadn't moved towards Him in a while, He's right where you left Him the last time. Move towards Him. He'll start moving towards you. David said this in Psalm 42, verse 1 and 2. And this is my prayer for us. As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My prayer is that inside each of us, we, we have that thirst, that longing, that like David, we just thirst for the living God. That we want Him more than anything else.